Yeah, we have people from the West Coast who are coming together to spend time uh, to read the word with us. And they're up at five in the morning to do that. And then there are people who are all the way on the other side of the planet who the sun is actually setting for them as they spend time in the reading of the word. So it's it's just a beautiful thing to see that we have people in different time zones uh, but are still coming in simultaneity for the reading of the word. And that's just powerful, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there he is in the midst. And we have a few hundred of you right now on both platforms who are coming together to gather in his name, to spend time in the reading of the word. So this is, um, I am super excited. I'm super excited about what the Lord has in store for us as we spend time in the reading of the word. Um, for those of you who don't know and are wondering what we're doing here, this is the read and rant. And essentially what we do in the read and rant is we just spend about 20 minutes in the reading of the word 20 to 30 minutes to read the word and then we spend another 20 30 minutes just to ruminate over the text um and really this time of reflection isn't uh there isn't anything planned i don't have anything i don't have any notes sometimes it can sound somewhat discombobulated but it's really the process that i go to spend time every morning in the meditation and reflection of the word i'm simply just reflecting on what the word has to say so it's not fully coordinated but the lord has something he's always speaking into me and through me through his word and so i just want to spend some time to really give you guys uh, an opportunity to eavesdrop into the conversations that i have with god and the things that i'm wrestling through and the things that i'm working through and the things that I'm being poured into as I spend my time in the reading of the word. And that's what we're here to do. We're just here to do that. We're here to engage in that together. And so um, I always apologize. And I think the reason why I apologize is because it's the, uh, the, it's the preacher in me, I guess. It's the, uh, the guy who wants to have the coordinated, organized thoughts together in me, um, who wants to be able to present to you a well-prepared and a well-put-together uh, presentation of the teaching of Scripture. But this isn't a teaching. This is a reflection. But it's just I can find myself going into these rants and it almost sounds discombobulated and all over the place. And sometimes I find myself apologizing because I'll, I'm like, man, I wish this was more organized and more coordinated. But I just feel like there's something that's really powerful when we just sit and we just reflect and we're just throwing down the thoughts that are coming to us as it's being inspired by the Holy Spirit when we are reading uh, his word. And so this is what it is. This is this is more about relationship and more about God convicting our hearts than it is about us, you know, uh, breaking down the text through Bible study. Now, I want to say this as well is there is going to be a space and there should be a space for Bible study. And I intend to do that as well, that there will be a space for Bible study. Sleeping B U T. I got your message on Patreon. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out back to you. So uh I, I look forward to to connecting with you because though you, you sent me some really encouraging words on Patreon. Um for my patrons, I, I think we had 20, 20 new patrons yesterday. Um that's amazing, guys. 20 new patrons yesterday. We're 75% closer to our goal of having a monthly Bible study. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about where the Lord is leading this ministry as we're transitioning out of, you know, our work in the in the marketplace to spending more time focusing on ministry that you guys are beginning to support us in that. And if you want to know how to support, just click the link in the bio. If you're interested in becoming a patron, click the link in the bio. Um, we're getting closer and closer, guys. It's been an incredible blessing. The words of encouragement, the commitment, the financial commitment that you guys are making to support this ministry as we continue to move forward, it presses me on. It makes me and it encourages me 
to come and to do this. It's things like that. Your words of encouragement, your prayer, your donations, your support, your becoming a patron on Patreon. Those are the kind of things that get me to, you know, even though I'm flying back from a red eye flight and I landed at, you know, six in the morning, I quickly ran over here to do my read and rant with you guys before I carried on with my day. Uh, because it just, I, I know this is important to you and it's, and it's, in, it's telling me and it's informing me that this is important to you. And for that reason, it's important to me as well. And so I'm so encouraged that you guys have been blessed by that. So thank you so much for all of you who have become patrons. And there's some of you who have been messaging on how to become a patron. If you want to know how to become a patron, just click, uh, click the link in my bio and click the first link, become a patron. And it's a $10 a month donation starting next week. I might actually do today's just as a, as a test run today's, uh, read and rant. I may actually post it right after this on the Patreon. So that way you can, so I can start testing it out. Okay. To see if it, if, <clears throat> if we, we can get a rhythm together, uh, a rhythm going for that. So anyway, thank you so much guys for your donation, but starting next week though, we're going to regularly post the content right away, right afterwards. But either way, nothing's going to change. Whether or not you support, I want to be here for you. This is why we're here. We're here to engage you in the scriptures. And so today we're in 2 Samuel. We're in 2 Samuel chapter. Oh, goodness. What chapter are we on? Uh, we're in 2 Samuel. And... Uh, we're in second Samuel chapter 13. That's where we're at. There we go. Yep. I'm, I was looking through and I was wondering where we were at. So, um, we're in second Samuel chapter 13. So let's get to it. We're going to ask three questions as we read the scripture. God, what are you revealing to us today concerning you? Lord, what are you revealing? Second question, Lord, what are you revealing today concerning people. And the third question that we're going to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing today concerning me? Okay. I want you to, to align your heart, your spirit, your mind towards those three questions as we spend this time in reading the word. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? Father, we ask Lord today, Lord, as we read this word, Lord, just uh, speak to us, Lord. We we come today as empty vessels, uh, wanting to be filled by you. So fill us up today as we read your word, Lord. Fill us with your heart, your will, your mission, your mind. Lord God, that we may know Lord, what you have in store for us and what you intend for us. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Reveal your people to us and reveal but in us, what needs to be changed, what needs to be transformed, what needs to be conformed, what needs to be um, uh, restored and repaired. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go, fam. Let's do this. Uh, chapter 13, and it says this. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister who was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, 
Now Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and he pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple cakes for me in my sight and I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. When she took the flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes, she took the pan and placed them out before him, and he, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where can I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will, he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that he so that the hatred which with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, "Arise, be gone." So she said to him, "No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the one that you did to me." But he would not listen to her. Then he would. He then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on her robe many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her, her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom's, Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But then King David heard of all these things. He was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Tamar. Verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. And then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. And he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, 
If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he let Amnon and all his and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all of the king's sons rose. Each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass when they were on the way that the news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Then Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked there. Many people were coming with him from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming. As your servant said, so it is. So it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Chapter 14. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Then the woman went to Tekoa, spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field. And there was one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant and said, Deliver him who struck his brother that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and he will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave my husband neither name nor remnant on earth. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. 
Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And, and he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, Say on. So the woman said, Why then have you schemed against such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished home his banished one home again. For he will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the king, because the people have been made afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant, for the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of a man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. So your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will not be comforted. For as the angel of the Lord is sorry, for as the angel of the Lord, so is my lord the king in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. And the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, Please let my lord the king speak. So the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord king, no one can turn to the right to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in my mouth of your maidservant to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing, but my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of the lord, to know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now in all Israel, there was no one. There was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him. And when he cut his hair, and when he cut the hair on his head, at the end of every hair he cut it because it was heavy on him when he cut it. He weighed the head, hair on his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. To Absalom was born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent him again a second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barely, he has barley there, barely. Verse 30, let's read that again. 
So he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Gesher? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him, And when he had called Absalom, he came to the king, bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. One more chapter. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has me any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel, who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay a vow, which I made to the Lord for your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Gesher in Syria saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet and you shall say Absalom reigns in Hebron and with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem and they went along innocently and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithmothel, the Gilnite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo. While he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people of Absalom continued, continually increased in number. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants ready to go, ready, sorry, ready to do whatever my Lord, the king commands. And the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left 10 women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out of, <clears throat> sorry, went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all the servants passed before him and all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men had followed him from Gath passed before the king. And the king said to Atai, the Gittite, 
Why are you do, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I not I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Atai, Go and cross over. And Atai the Gittite and all the men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. Then Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God, and they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. And the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, I am here, let him do to me as he seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz, your son and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of Mount Olives and, and wept as he went up, and, his head <clears throat> and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and wept went up weeping as they went up and they told david someone sorry then someone told david saying ahithophel sorry is among the conspirators with absalom and david said o lord i pray turn the counsel of ahithophel into foolishness now it happened when david had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped god there was hashai the archite coming to see to, to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will also be your servant. Then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel from, for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. And Absalom came to Jerusalem. <sighs> There's a lot to unpack, obviously. Um, I'm encouraged by you, Bobby. Really encouraged by you. Um, yes, beloved. 
this is a movie. I've always said this. This is a little quick side note uh, before I share my, my thought today, as I've been just prayerfully reflecting as I'm reading. Um, they need to do a David movie. Like they need to do, it should be a series, actually. I know there's the new series. I don't know if you've seen it, but The Chosen, which is amazing. It's amazing stuff. Really cool stuff. Um, I haven't finished watching the second season, but the first season was amazing. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm thinking like one of those guys like needs to, you know, they, they need to make a David series because it's a movie, y'all. Um, it's a movie. Yes. If you have not watched the chosen, it is absolutely amazing. It's incredible. Um, it's one of the most accurate depictions of Jesus's life and ministry on earth. It's just, it's just so beautifully done and it's done in a, just just the the way that it's presented it's it's just amazing anyway um it's a crowdfunded it's a crowdfunded um platform so you just just search the chosen app just get the chosen app it's all free but just download the app and once you download the app you can um you can uh you can watch it but it's amazing it's it's awesome i loved the first season um it's probably the only Jesus movie or any movie portraying the life of Jesus that I've actually, or show, this is a show, but the only uh, film or a filming of the life of Jesus that I actually really like. Um, I, I just haven't found one that I actually like, but I really like those and the encounters. They're amazing. Um, got emotional at some points in it, which is very rare for me, but it's just an awesome Awesome movie. Yes, it's an app. So you can download the app. It's fully free. It's a fully crowdfunded um, endeavor. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Anyway, that's as I know. Anyway, they need to do one for David. They need to do one for David because David's life is, is a legit movie. It's a legit uh, movie. Um, and there's so much there that you can't really do it in a movie. Like it'd have to be like a series. It's a, a, a series. I said series. What's going on with me today? It had to be a series. Um, passion of the Christ was great. It was. It was. It was a good movie, but it it just portrayed the passion of Christ. It portrayed the, his 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 final hours on earth. But I'm talking about just portraying the life of Jesus. Like, you know, I just haven't seen it. Uh, the ministry of Jesus on earth. I, I haven't. I haven't seen one that I've I've liked. Um, and maybe it's because I haven't seen them all. But yeah, a series on David. But if they're going to do a series on David, it, it's got to be real. You know, it's got to be real. Um, it, it, it'll probably be rated R, right? Like your children wouldn't be able to watch it if you want to really get an accurate depiction of uh, the life of David. Um, anyway, I, I say that to say that w it's getting messy here. Um, we're reading the story of David's ministry and David's life. David... Uh, was on a rise, but now we're beginning to see the crest of David's uh, regal life. We're seeing the crest now. He's he's uh, we're beginning to see this decline, right? We're beginning to see the life of David uh, uh, declining here. 
and and it's getting messy. And notice where the mark really came from. It came at this point from our reading yesterday where David, who was this honorable man, finds himself in a place of uh, of quiescence. He's resting when he should actually be fighting. He encounters Bathsheba. After encountering Bathsheba, um, we know everything that transpired because we read that yesterday. And the one thing that we ended with yesterday was, is that we can come to God with our sin, but it does not take away from the fact that sin has its consequences. I want to make one quick side note here because we're starting to learn here that forgiveness does not imply that we are devoid of the consequences of sin. And this is becoming a reality here that we see David, who is a man after God's own heart. David, who God loves very much, who now has been exposed in this egregious act, this egregious sin. We're beginning to see now the consequences of a sin. I, I find often that people, when they, when they talk about forgiveness, they sometimes think of forgiveness as, well, if the Lord, if, if I'm forgiven of my sins, then I don't have to suffer the consequences of those things that I've committed or those sins that I've committed. And I've always said this, there's a difference between forgiveness and consequences. It's like this. Let me give you an example. Think of sin. And I, may, I may have used this analogy before, right? Yeah, the get out of jail free card. And I want to make sure we understand sin and forgiveness because it'll help us as we, uh, as we in, in this walk, especially for those of us who've been called by God and who are after God's own heart and who are chasing after God and, and are still trying to figure out how to reconcile this, this idea of forgiveness, but then there's still so much pain and suffering in the world. Like there's still so much unrest in the world. Like things are, are not the way they ought to be because sin still, there's still sin in the world. So when we talk about Jesus forgiving sins, Jesus is, is addressing and dealing with the eternal implications of sin. But then there are the temporal implications of sin. The things that happen in the moment as the result of sin, which cannot be canceled. Because if those things are canceled, then it takes away from the righteousness and the character of God. What do I mean by that? Is that if there's just a past in which sin does not have consequences, then God cannot continue to be God. Because God, who is holy, establishes a perfectly just world. This, this perfect, just reality comes out of his character, his being, and his essence. And so now, if anything is other than God, and the world remains in its perfection, and there are no consequences in it, then what it says is that God isn't God, that God cannot be God. And God cannot continue to be God. And so we then sometimes think that if God forgives us of our sins, then it takes away from the consequences of our sins. 
But then I say, in response to that, if God takes away the consequences of our sin, then God has to cease being God. He cannot continue to be God in a world where there's sin and for the world to continually be perfect. Because if the world is perfect in sin, then God cannot be God. That's another conversation for another day. So David sins, and we learn that David is forgiven of his sins. The forgiveness of the sins reconciles David back into the presence of God to be in relationship with God. But David is still going to suffer the consequences of the decisions that he's made. David is still going to pay the price for the decisions that he's made, meaning what we're learning is God can use you and call you and be in relationship with you. Heaven can be yours, but on this earth, if you choose to separate from God's will and you choose to make decisions that are other than God, you're going to get results that are other than God. As a matter of fact, it's the love of God that causes results that we don't desire because it's those very things that draws back into the presence of God. I say that because we're beginning to see now the consequences of David's decisions. David is living a life, even though he's called by God, he's living a life that doesn't exactly align with the heart of God. Case in point, marriage. David is doing what was culturally permitted at that time. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, this thing is actually in the Bible. And because it's in the Bible, then it must be permitted. Like it was okay. Because in the Bible, we see kings who had multiple wives. And because they had multiple wives, then it's something that was okay. That, that, that it was okay. It's just, it's a new age thing. It's, it's, it's a modern, you know, marriage between a man and a woman is a, is a modern construct. It's not, it's not, it's not something that even existed in the Bible because we see in the Bible, you know, David who had multiple wives, and then we're going to see Solomon who had multiple wives and we're going to see, and, we, and so we see, we see these, these Israel, these Israelite Kings, these Hebrew Kings who have been chosen by God, who had these multiple lives, not realizing that even though they were called by God to execute God's mission and justice that that wasn't the will of god because it was the very thing that they were doing that led to their demise did anybody know that solomon's demise was because he had multiple wives and part of david's demise here is that david has now he's had multiple wives and he's had multiple children through these multiple wives and having these multiple children through these multiple wives has led to now will lead to the demise of his kingdom I say that to say that you don't take everything you see in the Bible and say, well, because in the Bible, it's okay. As a matter of fact, not everything in the Bible is okay. See, a lot of things that we see in the Bible are not. But we're beginning to see David's progression. And after Bathsheba, everything starts to unfold. It all starts to unravel. It all starts to unravel. And so now David, who is a man after God's own heart, this man who's a man after God's own heart, 
is now suffering from the consequences of his sin. You can sin, be forgiven of your sin, and still pay the consequences of your sin because the sin, the scriptures tell us that the strength of sin is the law. So it's the order of things that cannot be changed because God is unchangeable. But God gives us access back to his presence. But it's not going to change. That up to this point, these decisions that you've been making, David, are going to come back to get you. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how much God has called you. Even as much as God is using you, even as much as God has has instituted his plan through you and and God has some people that he's using in a very powerful way, even in this world, who don't live in accordance to the will of God. And they pay the price for it. David is going to start paying the price for it. One of the products of David's uh, not lack of wisdom, but some of the decisions that he's made that have been unwise is Bathsheba, who now he has Solomon. And after Solomon, he's got other children from other wives. One of his sons is in love with one of his daughters. And we know the story. We just read it. Amnon um, rapes Tamar or Tamar. Amnon rapes Tamar and then he hates her. That's another story for another day. Because of course, Amnon, by seeing her, sees his sin. Because he sees his sin, Amnon hates Tamar. Scriptures say that he hates her more than he loved her. So he had a lustful desire for her that did not align with the will of God. You know, so this is the thing about sin and how sin divides us and how sin separates us is is that the moment that we commit those sins, we tend to see ourselves in the people that we've sinned against. And And in seeing ourselves in the people that we've sinned against, we begin to project our own image of ourselves. This is back to what we were talking about with shame how we see ourselves through their eyes. And because now we're projecting, that's what sin does. Shame is a projection. Shame makes us project. And on projecting now, we, the best way to satisfy the pain that we're experiencing is to just hate the person that we sinned against. Because it's easy to just hate the person than to apologize. Hating someone even though it'll kill us in the momentary, in the momentary helps us, right? You know, it kills us and later on down the line in the momentary, it helps us, but that's not the point. Oh, and that's another story for another day. But this is, this is a movie y'all because now one of David's sons has now forced himself on one of his daughters. And upon doing that now, her brother Absalom immediately at that point decided that he was going to avenge him. 
Absalom now enters into this story. And I'm going to spend more time on Absalom most likely tomorrow because there's some stuff I need to work out with Absalom that I'm not going to have time for. But there's something that really stuck out to me in reading this text. Because we're going to see now that Absalom becomes David's primary distraction. Rather than administrating the kingdom of God now, David is trying to keep his family together. David's trying to keep his house together. David, not tomorrow, sorry, not tomorrow, you're right, Doris, on Monday. Uh, not tomorrow, but on Monday. David is trying to keep his house together. And so we see now how Absalom begins to wreak havoc. But Absalom already had it in him. Tamar just gave him a reason. <laughs> another conversation for another day. But we're going to learn about how destructive Absalom is and how we have Absaloms even in our lives today that they are proximate to us and often are related to us and often are close to us, but have been in some form or another hurt by us. And because in some form or another have been hurt by us, the Absaloms in our life seek to avenge us through their proximity to us because the fact that they're proximate to us allows them now to avenge their um, um, allows them to, to instigate and enact revenge. The Absaloms in our life are always close to us. We all have Absaloms. And the Absaloms can feel some type of way. But the primary thing that the Absalom wants to do is the Absalom wants to get close. Because if the Absalom doesn't get close, then the Absalom cannot wreak the havoc that they intend to wreak. Absaloms want to work from the inside out. They don't attack you from the outside. They attack you from the inside. David knew what to do with Absalom. David first kicks Absalom out. Absalom flees. He goes to Geshur. And when he flees, at the distance that he flees, Absalom begins to amass this, this coalition of people because that's what Absaloms do. The Absaloms in your life will always amass coalitions, right? And so Absalom amasses a coalition of people who would be attached to him and connected to him because Absalom has not yet amassed the power yet to overthrow his father, David. But Absalom now, after he's amassed enough of a coalition and he's been able to uh, establish himself to a certain degree and he's got enough people on his side, because he's got enough people now on his side, Absalom needs to get back into the house of David. Absalom has every interest now to get back into his house. And Absalom calls a buddy, a guy who's connected with one of his connections, one of uh, one of the guys on the periphery of his coalition by the name of Joab. Pay very close attention. This is where I'm going today, and then I'm going to be done today. Joab, he tells Joab, yo, Joab, you need to get me back into David's house. I'm David's son. I should be back in his house. I know David didn't like what I did, that I killed one of his sons. One son killing another son for raping his daughter. Y'all see how this thing is falling apart for David? Started so well for him. And now David, David's got a son who's on the run, who's far, who's, who's, who's establishing and amassing a coalition of people. And now he wants to come back into the house of David. On the guise of reconciliation. Because what Absaloms do. On the guise of reconciliation. 
on the guise of forgiveness, on the guise of let's move on. Let's bring him back in. Of course, Joab knows David don't want to hear it. David doesn't want to hear it. David, David doesn't want to, David's not interested in that. He's not interested in having a conversation. He, he's not about having a conversation. Pay close attention to this because this is, this is where it gets really interesting. David's not, David's not interested in having a conversation with Absalom. Okay. David, so much so we know, we know this, we have proof of this because even when Absalom came back, David never saw his face. So David was not interested in any of that at all. And so now Absalom needs someone who's proximate to David to get him back into the fold. All this from a sin that David had committed. All this is beginning to unravel. All this just begins to fall apart. And now, Joab, who's a guy who's thinking, who's saying, how can I get David to even hear out Absalom's case? We know what happens later on when Absalom gets in, in, in the home. But how do I get David to hear Absalom's case? Joab goes, I got an idea. Ooh, I got an idea. I know how to get Absalom back into David's life. This is how I'm going to get Absalom back into David's life. How I'm going to get Absalom back into David's life is, and I'm going to call this wise woman when we were in, uh, look at, look at in chapter 14. It's like, you know what? I'm going to call this wise woman. And I'm going to give this wise woman a story. And she's going to tell this story to David because, you know, David's good with that kind of thing. So she's going to tell the story to David. And when she tells the story to David, it's going to be a story of similar pain that David, that will attract David and then allow David to see himself through it. I'm going to tell her to tell David a story. And once she tells David the story, she's going to have his attention. And there now, once she has David's attention, David will at least invite the possibility of her coming, of Absalom coming back into the fold. I don't have enough time to break this down because we only have a couple minutes. I only have a few minutes, y'all. I can't believe it's already 851. I, I don't know how this happens, y'all. But 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 I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Jo- Joab is, 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 is bright. He's brilliant. He's smart. This guy is smart. He's cunning. He's cunning because he's got to get Absalom back in the house. How does he get Absalom back in the house? He calls a wise woman and he tells the wise woman to go to David. And what she's going to go to David with is a similar pain that David is experiencing. She's going to go back to David with a similar trauma. She's going to go back to David with a story of one son killing another son. And to ask David, what ought she do about that particular thing? I, I don't have enough time to break all this down, but I want you to go back and read it again. Spend some time and read it again. Pay very, very close attention to what's happening here because this is a practical value for family. This is a practical value to many of you right now who are wondering, how do the Absaloms get back into your house? How were the Absalom? How do the Absaloms enter back in? How do toxic people enter back into your fold? How do toxic people re-enter into your life? If they enter into your life through similarity of trauma, that in and of itself will lead to toxicity and destruction. 
this wise woman comes with a story and she manipulates David into reconsidering bringing Absalom back into his home and back into his proximity with a story that aligns with his pain. It wasn't even her story, but it was a trauma that David is experiencing. And once she brought the trauma to David, as David then invited her and invited her thought and invited her will and invited now Joab's plan, which really came from Absalom to come back into the fold. Hey, Ellison, what's up? What's going on, buddy? Good to see you, bro. That's my son. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad you're here. And I hope you're getting this because this is important because you're going to learn this later on in life. That when you bond with someone out of trauma, you're inviting the spirit of Absalom into your life. The way that the Absaloms enter into your life and the way that you become the Absaloms is through trauma bonding. David was bonding with this woman's trauma. David was captivated by her pain because that's his pain. One of her sons has killed the other son, and now they're after to kill this son. And all of a sudden, David's paying attention. All of a sudden, David's inviting this conversation. And at that point, David has succumbed to the fact that this woman has a line. And even then, even afterwards, this is what's crazy about it. What's crazy about it is even afterwards, he knows and finds out that this was just a story to get him in, but it was good enough to get him in. And then he tells, he says, who told you to tell this story? If this story is not even real, who was the one that told you to speak this story? And then she says, it was Joab. And then Joab walks out and Joab says, yes, it was me. It was me. I, I was the one who told her to, to say the story. And then David's like, why would you tell her to say the story? And then finally, at the end of that conversation, um, Absalom is invited back into his house. We're going to learn uh, next week as we continue to read through this book how destructive Absalom is to David's legacy, to David's family, and to David's destiny. How, how destructive Absalom was. And what's crazy to me as I'm reading this text today is I'm realizing that David invited Absalom back in through trauma bonding. Be very careful about making friends who were friends simply because we have the same pains and the same traumas. Be very careful about the people you connect with and ask, why are you even connected to that person? Be very careful when you have friends that you've made friends with and you don't know why you're friends other than the reason why you're friends is because You've had similar pains. That's right. We call those familiar spirits. Be very, very careful because when you begin to trauma bond, what you're doing is, is you're inviting the spirit of Absalom into your house. 
David was not even interested. We're going to learn later on in the text that even when he brought Absalom back in the house, Absalom, he did not even connect with him. He didn't see his face for two years. We just read it in the scripture that we just read. He did not see Absalom's face for two years. Pay very, very close attention. Absalom is only in his proximity. He's not even entertaining Absalom. But it was in his trauma bonding that he invited Absalom back into his proximity. So you got to watch yourself. And I think this is a challenge for a lot of us, particularly speaking, when it comes to faith and when it comes to the church and when it comes to friends and when it comes to family and when it comes to all these things. There are a lot of us today who we're connected to people, not by what we're for, but by what we're against. We're connected to people by the traumas that we have experienced because we have a similarity in trauma and pain. We've come together. And because we've come together through the trauma and pain, we realize that in doing so, it creates an erosion in our own soul that we cannot see. And some of us may, may be saying, well, I don't, I don't even entertain Absalom. You don't need to. David was not entertaining Absalom, but he brought Absalom back into his, his space, back into his periphery, back into his proximity because he trauma bonded with a woman with a story that wasn't even hers. And that's the interesting thing about how the enemy works. The enemy will find people who, even if it's not your story, will find people who will make it their story just to invite himself back into your life. I find more people now talk about, create these cliques and these groups and these coalitions off of pain and off of trauma. Be very careful, guys. That's all I'm leaving you with today. It's just a word of warning. It's a word of warning for me because we tend to be attracted to the people who've experienced the pains that we felt and experienced. What are we doing with those people are we inviting Absaloms into our life? I realized today, this is a side note, I realized today even in my own ministry and just in the few years that I've been leading that I've dealt with Absaloms in my ministry. I've dealt with Absaloms in <laughs> from the early years of my ministry. And I always wondered, and I was always asking myself this question, and something I was always wrestling with was, why is it? Why, why does this keep happening? Why do I keep finding you know, this person who betrays me and this person? And I'm experiencing all these betrayals and all these coalitions behind me. And all of a sudden, I got a coalition over here, and I got a coalition over there, and they're all coming against me. And and I'm, I've been wondering, like, how how does this happen? Like, I keep having all these Absaloms in my life, and where where are all these Absaloms coming from? Where where, where does wh how does this happen? How does this how does this happen? I'm, I'm not even doing anything, but people have a, something to gossip about, something to lie about. How they have something to to to, to, to and, and so I I was just wrestling with that, and I was wondering, like, where, where is this coming from? And it took me years to realize that I was attracting 
the Absaloms. I was actually attracting Absaloms in my life. And I was attracting Absaloms in my ministry. And I was attracting Absaloms in all the things that I was doing. And the reason why the Absaloms were coming, because I, I, I would never entertain them, but they were there. They would be in my space. They would be in my proximity. And I was always wondering, why? how did they end up here? Like, how are all these Absaloms all around me? Like, do I, what, am, I, am I sort of like this, this, this Absalom magnet? And I realized that what was attracting the Absaloms in my life was the fact that most people that I connected with in those seasons of my life were people who had the same traumas that I had. When I was in ministry for a long time, I had people who they aligned with the same pain that I had in my life. Um, they went through the same traumas in church. You know, the church traumas. Uh, same traumas with, with community. Same traumas. And so because they experienced the same traumas, what actually connected us together was not something we were for. It was the pain that we experienced. And I realized I made friends out of nothing other than we suffered the same pains. And I realized that it was that that invited the Absaloms. Because those people, guess who they invite? People who have experienced the same pains. And now we're not for anything in this church and we're not for anything in this community and we're not really doing this for Christ and we're not doing this for the gospel. We're doing this to be against whatever we experienced when we grew from what we grew up in. And so eventually what I had to realize was is that the only way that I would stop attracting the Absaloms in my life was I needed to first heal from my own personal trauma and from my own personal pain. And I needed to forgive from my own context. And when I've forgiven, now I'm not connecting to you because you were hurt in the way that I was hurt or because you were affected in the way that I was affected. Or because you dealt with some of the pain that I dealt with. I've dealt with a lot of pain in church. People wonder, well, why is it that you moved on? I moved on because I need a life and I desire a life in abundance. I don't want to just make a click with people who are hurt by what I've been hurt by. But I want to be around people who are for what I am for, who want to be about Jesus, who want to be about the gospel, who are not about, well, I hate this about the church and I hate that about the church and I hate this about the church. And yeah, I know that my church and my ministry looks nothing like what the church is and I know that some people may look at what I do and say this isn't fully church and I know that I'm going up against church culture and against church structure and against church ideology and against church thinking I know all of that is true I know all of that is true but I cannot be motivated to be joined to people simply because we've been hurt by what the church used to do 
No, no, no. I need to get on with that. I need to heal from that. I need to heal from the trauma, from the experience, from, from, from the betrayal, from the vitriol. I need to heal from all of that because if I'm going to be used by God and if I'm going to live and I'm going to have a ministry that's going to have longevity, that's going to last. If I want a ministry that's going to last, I need to heal because if I do not heal, I am going to let the Absaloms in my life creep in. Absaloms creep in to your leadership and to your ministry out of your own pain and your own trauma. If you do not overcome your pain and trauma and you do not reconcile with God and don't let Jesus, if you do not let Jesus heal you and restore you in that, do not be surprised when all you have is coalitions around you because these people are not for what you are for. They're just against what you are against. And this this pertains to your marriage. Some of you guys aren't ministers. Some of you some of you guys are business people. Some of you guys are 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 you know artists and and influencers and and so I want you to just ask yourself the question: Who do I bring around me? Who am I bringing around me? Ah, uh, because the people that I'm bringing around me may be what's prohibiting my growth and what's prohibiting God moving through me and prohibiting me. Therapists. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I've always said this, that um, you can be saved and still go to therapy. And there's some folks who are saved that need to go to therapy. Yeah, you need to go to therapy. You need to work out some stuff. You need to heal because those traumas that you've experienced may be attracting Absaloms in your marriage. I can go on this for days, but my wife can attest to this as well. My wife can attest to this as well, that it was the Absaloms that I was attracting in my life that even attracted people in our marriage that would separate us and create division even in our marriage. Did you hear that? It was actually the Absaloms who were coming in that were creating coalitions that would pit us up against each other. Why? Because we have not healed from our own personal trauma. David is still dealing with the fact that Absalom has betrayed him. That Absalom has killed one of his sons. And David doesn't know how to confront that. And it doesn't mean that Absalom... It's a, oh man, I'm ranting. I know I'm ranting and it's all discombobulated, but just take it for what, it, what it's worth. Guys, I want you to understand this because I preach forgiveness all the time. Because I believe forgiveness heals. I believe when you forgive, that's that's truly when you experience freedom. Most people right now, they're bound by unforgiveness. And there are a lot of people who are actually, you, you're shortening your life because you cannot forgive. Because of your refusal to forgive. But I think there's this confusion about forgiveness. That people think that forgiveness means that that person has permission to, to, to re-enter your life. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. 
And I have to make sure people understand that. You can forgive somebody and not be reconciled to them. You want proof? I'm ranting. How much time do I have? Oh, I'm over time. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, babe. I'm going to do better. Okay. I'm going to do better. You can forgive someone and not reconcile to them. Here's, here's an example. God has forgiven every man and woman who will ever walk the face of this planet of all their sins. When he died on the cross, their sins were forgiven. He forgave everyone of their sins. But not everyone will be in relationship with God. Do you understand that? He, he has forgiven every single sin on this planet. Every sin that has ever been committed, every sin that will be committed, every sin that is being committed in this moment, he has forgiven every sin against him, every one of them. Your sins are forgiven, every one of them, for every person. Every person's sins are forgiven, but not everyone will be reconciled to him. Does anybody hear that? Not everyone will be reconciled to him. The ones who will be reconciled to him are those who repent of their sins. So if someone repents of the sin, then that brings you back into relationship. Repentance brings you back into relationship. But you can forgive someone and not be in relationship with them ever again. Is that making sense? You can forgive someone and never be in a relationship with them again because the person is a toxic person. That person causes continual pain. That person never wants to change. That person will never change their mind. That person may never see themselves as wrong. That person may say, I want to live my life, do my thing the way that I want to do it, even if it continually causes you hurt and pain and suffering. So yeah, I'm going to forgive you. Doesn't mean I need to live with you. doesn't mean that we need to be in relationship. I have plenty of people that I've forgiven. I forgive all the time. I'm still working through forgiveness, even as I teach it and preach it all the time. But there are people that I've forgiven that I'm not in relationship with. And that's okay. David could forgive Absalom for what he has done and yet never be in relationship with him again. There are people in your family that you need to forgive. Forgi yes, forgiveness is mandatory for every Christian. And yet it's David's hurt and pain that he's still wrestling with the trauma and he cannot, and he cannot heal from the trauma until you actually forgive. So forgiveness is part of healing. And so, yes, and once you forgive it and you heal, guess what? You now create a barrier for the Absaloms who try to enter into your life. Because now what you're attracting is not what you've been hurt by and what you're against. What you're attracting is what you are for. You begin to cultivate healthier relationships when you forgive. 
you begin to find the right people in your life when you forgive. You begin to see clearly who ought to be in your life and who ought not to be in your life when you forgive. Maybe I should do more videos on that. I need to do more videos. I need to teach more about that. But if you're going through some trauma today, I want to close this with prayer. If you're going through some trauma and if you're dealing with trauma and if trauma is guiding your life and trauma is governing you in this season, I'm praying for God to protect you from the Absaloms who enter into your places of trauma. For those of you who are encountering trauma right now, I pray to God that he repels you from others who are going to attract you with their trauma. I pray to God right now that you would be, you would be repelled by people who are experiencing the pain that you're experiencing, that you seek after God and God alone, that through Jesus Christ that you find healing and restoration, that if you experience someone who's gone through the trauma that you've gone through, that if they've gotten out of that trauma and been healed from it, that they can teach you how to overcome it and to heal from it. I pray to the Lord that he gives you wisdom and that he leads you in a season where you are experiencing profound pain. There are those of you right now who are going through a lot of pain, not realizing that your pain is causing even more pain, that your pain is inviting the wrong people in your life, that your pain is inviting the wrong guy into your relationship, that the pain is bringing you into the relationship with the wrong girl, that pain is bringing you back with family members that you should have never been with, that pain is keeping you cooked and connected to people that you've been proximate with, that you have had regular relationship with, that you should have been separated from, and it's your pain, your trauma that's still keeping you there, and you're wondering why you're blocked, and you're wondering why there's coalitions around you, and you're wondering why there's people who are talking behind your back and why there's all this gossiping and why there's all these things that aren't that that just don't seem to align with the life that you're supposed to have in Jesus Christ and somehow you feel like you're losing your faith you feel like you're losing yourself you feel like you're losing your identity and you're losing all of that because you are in a season of trauma that you have not overcome and been healed from and what God is saying is separate from people separate from your trauma friends separate from all the trauma bonding release yourself of those people and seek healing from God and God alone seek healing Healing from the blood of Jesus Christ. Seek healing from a God who reconciles and restores us all to him. Seek forgiveness for a God who forgives us for the unforgivable. Seek forgiveness from God. And when we get our forgiveness from God for even the sins that we commit, that he would impart that forgiveness on others, that you would forgive others. And the moment that you would learn to forgive others and that you would be healed from your trauma, that God would then wash you with friends and with family and with wisdom and with wise voices and with people around you and with a council of people who will bring your life up, who will elevate your life, who will allow you now to live in longevity for what God is calling you to do. We rebuke trauma bonding in the name of Jesus. We come against trauma bonding in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask right now for anyone who is here, Lord, who is Lord, bound by pain and finds themselves in a place where uh, they look for familiarity with others who are in the similar pain. Father, I just pray right now that you would guide your people. Lord, draw them away from toxic situations and toxic environments and draw them near to you. Lord, lead us to you. Lord, that we would glorify you. Lead us to you, Father. Lord, lead us to you. Lord, in everything that we do, lead us to you. Draw us to your presence. For there's healing in Gilead. There's a balm in Gilead. There's, there's healing for us in you. Father, teach us to have wisdom to know who to share our trauma with. Teach us to have wisdom to know who to share our pain with. 
Give us wisdom. Guide us and lead us, Father. I pray, Lord, that for those who have amassed Absaloms around their life, Father, I pray that you would eradicate the Absaloms in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would bring restoration to relationships that must be restored, and Lord, that you would block relationships that should never be restored. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.